I'm Ruth, the host of Unleash Your Goddess. Today we have an amazing guest, Samantha Goodchild. We delve into Samantha's life of betrayal and hurt leading to alcoholism and how she became sober, of how she found her peace. Samantha went from a marketing manager to a celebrant doing what she loved. It's a big step for Samantha to speak out today. I know by telling her story it will help others. Welcome, Samantha. Well, I would like, if if something I can say can help somebody else, then I know that it, for me, hearing other people that were go, had been through what I was going through, has that's literally been what's, what's helped change my life and, and made me look at things differently and do things differently and yeah and 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 totally transform my life so I think it, it just even that first seed of hearing somebody saying that was what what pushed me to do something about what was going on in my life was hearing that somebody say something and I thought oh right okay yeah I, I need to do something now someone else that was that spoke out and told their story and um and that's what helped you to reach out and get help yeah it was it was um well it was kind of it was at the end of my drinking I basically it was December 2010 and I had um I'd been seeing a, a boyfriend and I'd met him for the drinks one afternoon and I could I always had to pour control over my drinking but there was this point so we had drinks and then I've just I still to this day don't remember what happened but then this just like a shutter came down in my mind one minute I was drinking in the pub with him in the afternoon and the next minute I was I was waking up the next morning at his flat and he he was sleeping in a separate room and he said I had been horrendous. I didn't remember how we got there or anything. I'd thrown things all around his flat. I'd been horrible. I'd been a nightmare. And so this is like seven in the morning. I woke up at his and he kind of turned me out, said he didn't want to see me again. And I was just walking home totally dejectedly thinking, this can't, this can't go on because this was not untypical of things that have been happening. And I thought we can't go on. And I got into my flat and I put TV on and it was um, Clarissa Dixon Wright from the two fat ladies. And she was talking about how she was sober and how, and she was talking about her drinking and that was it. And I just thought, Oh, I need to do, I need to do something about this. Had you had the blackouts before, or was this the first time? Yeah, it was the it was the drinking. Yeah, so I wouldn't. Um, it was getting more frequent, and after a certain number of drinks, just I would be completely out of control. I wouldn't remember it. It was like um, it was like a Jekyll and Hyde thing as well. My character would switch, and I was. Um, yeah, and and people would tell me, oh, you know, you said this, you did that, and I wouldn't, I couldn't remember any of it, and I'd be thinking, well, no, that's not me, I don't, that's not like me, 
um yeah and it was yeah it it had started happening more and more frequently probably it started I mean I'd always been I'd had poor control around my drinking um right from my early you know 18 20 I'd be I was never a moderate drinker you know I'd go out and I'd be I like fr- other friends could just say, I'll just have a couple. But once I'd had a couple, I just wanted more. I think that had happened before you were 18 that caused you to start drinking. Or was it just something that slowly crept on and your friends were drinking? And so you started drinking. Um, I mean, you know, childhood, my, my dad was quite a heavy drinker. Um, I was very, I was a very anxious and sensitive child, but I used to, and I didn't feel like I fitted in, but I used to pretend to fit in and pretend to be something I wasn't, I think. And, um, so yeah, so I think then when I started drinking, it was like, I felt I never felt confident and then I felt confident once I had some drinks so I think that was a really nice feeling but then I just kind of didn't want that to stop so I would carry on um and it became a social crutch so when I go out I had to have a drink yeah so here's some of the people saying that um that once they get you know they get a drink including myself I've been like that where once I've had a drink I'm like the party girl and, and happy and, you know, I'm not shy anymore. And, yeah, yeah. Do you think that some people are more have more addictive personalities than other people or do you think it's something that can happen to anybody? Yeah, I think, I think we've all got the tendency for a bit of, you know, I think we've, from what I've learned about addiction over these last 10 years, I do think we all kind of use things to distract us, to change how we feel, um, to avoid something that we don't want to face, um, but to different degrees. And I definitely think some people have more of a tendency to quite a highly addictive personalities. Um, and I think, I think sometimes that can be, there can perhaps be a bit of a genetic thing, but I, yeah, definitely. I think childhood, the way that we're brought up, what we experience can is has a big influence on it. Your father drinking. Do you think that, that maybe that had an effect on you, seeing him drink and being maybe quite a heavy drinker? Did he ever turn when he was drinking? He used to get very depressive and angry um yeah so it wasn't so that wasn't a that was a very that was very difficult it was I was one of four it was very difficult for all of us but I guess yeah I did see that pattern of him when something went wrong in his life he would he would drink so I didn't it wasn't something consciously I thought oh okay that's obviously the answer but perhaps that was something that went in subconsciously you pick it up don't you as had a good relationship as a child um did you ever uh, did you get on with your mum your dad kind of like a counsellor now aren't I <laughs> no well I can see the relevance I it 
I wasn't a very happy child. Um, my family was quite dysfunctional. My mum was quite, um, she, you know, but she was, she, she does, you know, she loves us all, but she's quite controlling and bossy. And, uh, and I always felt like I had to get her approval. I had to, you know, behave in a certain way to get her approval. So I did, I really tried hard at that with my dad. I felt like, I felt like my dad didn't love me. And um, so again, you know, so that, whereas my mum, I thought, well, you know, when I do, when I behave how she wants me to, then I do get really, so that I kind of developed that pattern as well. Right. Again, a real people pleasing, wanting approval pattern. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. But I do think my, you know, I do think my dad, love me but I think he had his troubles and he had his demons and so he couldn't he couldn't show it he couldn't be there for other people because he couldn't deal with his life himself you know a lot of times in that generation it was hard for them to reach out and get help you know especially the males it's so hard for a man to reach out he's supposed to be the man he's not supposed to show emotion um I think it's quite it's quite hard on them, isn't it? Uh, what would you say was the the most dangerous situation that you got yourself in when you was intoxicated? I mean, that's a it's a tricky one because you know, like I said, I was <laughs> I was probably in danger a lot of the time, and I didn't even know it because I wouldn't remember. So you know, walking, I'd disappear from nights with my friends. And then I I wouldn't remember how I got home. I would sometimes get in the car and drive. Um, so I was a danger to myself and others. I did have, um, when I was younger, I had quite an abusive boyfriend. And he did, used to hit me when he was drunk. And I used to, you know, I would get, get into like deliberately go to him when I was drunk and get into horrible so that was all quite nasty, you know. Would you say you were spiritual growing up? And do you think that somebody's watching over you um, through your life and, uh, and and keeping you safe? I was church of it until I was 12. And then I was watching a science programme and I was thought, okay, there's no God, nothing like that exists. It's all nonsense. Religion is nonsense. And then I was an atheist until I was about 30 but I do think the near misses that I had you know how I got my home self home safely all those times like a young girl you know 20s 30 and how you know how I didn't have an accident or kill myself was you know I do think I was being looked after yeah so how did you get help? Well, it's like I said, I was watched, Was I'd been, I knew in my like 30s, I knew late 30s, I knew that I had a real problem and a, an issue with alcohol. I knew I had a problem relationship, but then it was that time when I'd had the, the, the row with the boyfriend and then I watched Clarissa Dixon Wright on the TV and that's when I thought I'm going to go to AA and 
I didn't think I was an alcoholic, but I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and she talked about how she'd done a 12-step recovery program. So that's what I did. And I thought, I'll just go and I'll just, you know, go for about six months and, th- and then I'll so- see if I'll be able to control my drinking after that. Yeah. But... Um, did you? <laughs> I I went and fortunately I um I did you know I sat there for a long time thinking I'm not an alcoholic but I so identified with listening to what people were saying about their drinking and I thought yeah yeah and it, and I they talked about how it is an illness and how you can't control it and it was you know about not picking up your the very first drink because it's um because I you know for me it was like well it's only after a certain number of drinks then I'd lose the plot but the whole thing was about well don't pick up the first one and that was a revelation to me (laughs) because for years I've been trying to just well I'll I'll just try and stick to two tonight or I'll stick to I'd set myself a limit and it didn't work for me it never worked um so yes, so I went and I'd started doing it. And the 12 step program is a very spiritual program as well. And really by that time I had had a complete turnaround on my spiritual thinking. And what had happened for the complete turnaround? Well, that's I was a I was about 30 and I'd got pregnant, unexpected, unplanned, and I was with my partner at the time and decided I didn't want to go through with the pregnancy. Up until that point, I'd had no, not a maternal bone in my body, I would say. I was this atheist, very shut down in the heart. And um, and then I got, so then I was pregnant and discovered it straight away, booked to get to, to, ed, yeah. to end the pregnancy. Yeah. And, so it was just so it was just seven weeks in, but I was oh, it's making me feel emotional now. I was distraught, and I suddenly felt really maternal, and um, I went through with it, but um, but I just was like I've killed my child and I became after that I became obsessed with the um the programs like Colin Fry Jonathan Edwards the mediumship programs and I just wanted to think there must be something else and uh oh you started me off now sorry (laughs) it's good it's good it's good to let it out it's good to let it out yeah it's good yeah so I just I became obsessed with those mediumship programs and and then and then an amazing thing happened I my partner I said we wouldn't tell anybody so I was carrying it all was holding it all inside and then a friend of mine, she had lost um, a baby when he was about a month old. And she went to see a, a spiritual medium. 
And the medium said to her, yeah, he's safe. He's here. Oh, and can you tell your friend that her baby is with him? She didn't know. She rang me and she said, I've got a feeling it's you, somebody with a name beginning with S. And she left the message on the voicemail and she said, is it you? Is, you know, have you got a, a baby in spirit? And I listened to the message and I just broke down and I was on the floor just sobbing. Um, yeah. And that's, re- that's what... And that's when the healing started. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Have you ever been married? No, no. My that partner and I, we we split up. Um, we lived together, and yeah. uh, but we we split up before we got married. And then I had a lot of <laughs> several years of toxic relationships and crazy um, stuff before I met my current partner, who's totally stable and kind and thoughtful and not like my usual pattern at all it's the same here first time ever yeah <laughs> I've settled with someone and that's because I feel I've, I've worked on myself I started to work on myself because I think you've got a neon light over your head and that doesn't make them people bad but did them things um but yeah but you've got a neon light and like it attracts you know so I started, I started to work on myself and started to change. And that started to attract different, a different sort of partner, which usually I wouldn't go for. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey for you as well, for you as well. It has. So how, how, how did you, so did you do the same? Did you start working on yourself? And, and through that, you began to change. Yeah. You to love yourself, isn't it? Find that child no exactly totally identify with you i i um i i signed up for a two-year course to train to become a healer an energy healer but we did loads of inner child work and we did a we did a lot of healing on ourselves chakra healing and working through all our stuff over that two years and then i started having therapy um as well and then I, um, and I then I was also doing twelve step program as well, which was you know really working with my personal relationship with a higher power. Everything, yeah, all of that internal work. Then everything external started to change. You was marketing manager. Yeah, at Legal in General. Yes, yeah. What made you want to leave that? Because that was quite a few years you were doing that, wasn't it? Was that quite high pressured? Yeah. It was corporate world, very stressful, pressured work. I never really fit, fitted in in the corporate world. I was there 18 years. But once I, but again, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just thought this is just what people do. This, you know, it's a proper career. And, but once I started going through those changes and working on myself, then I started you know, I started learning holistic health and I was trained to be a homeopath and reflexology and energy healing. And then I went part-time to begin with for about, I think about three or four years. And then my, um, one of my teachers, she was an interfaith minister and was setting up her sacred celebrant ministry. And so I just felt intuitively I wanted to do that. Um, so and yeah and then 
and so I, I trained with her to be um, to be a, a celebrant and a minister, and that's and I loved it. And I didn't intend to do that. I was working more with holistic health clients. Yeah. Um, but again, my I hadn't told many people I was doing that, and then a friend was getting married, an old friend. She rang me and said, "Oh, Sam, I, I really want you to." to take our wedding to officiate our wedding and I said oh that's really strange I'm learning to do that at the moment on I'm training to do that at the moment so we did in the countryside with this amazing beautiful spiritual wedding and I as soon as it I was really nervous before but as soon as it started I just felt like it felt like coming home it felt I was like, oh this is what I want to do yeah. So for people that don't know, what, what is a celebrant? So a celebrant is somebody who will take um, a wedding or a funeral or a baby naming and m- make it really personalised towards the per- the family or the couple. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And so uh, and I do a lot of spiritual ones but of course they don't have to have any spiritual element um but um but if they you know if people want you know want to bring in the angels or um, something spiritual then yes they can can. and at what age did you start that I'm just wondering how long that journey went you finally found your calling I did yes um so that was 2012 I think 2013 I did my first wedding Yeah. yeah And um, and I left the corporate world in 2014, funnily enough, just after my, my dad had died. And I, so I then just wangled redundancy. And, um, yeah, it, again, that was a big thing. I'd made peace with my dad before he died. And then... What did he die of? He'd... He'd been, um, he had various lung problems and kidney problems and it just deteriorated slowly. Um, How did that affect you? Was you close? No, we... I know we didn't touch on this to talk about it, so if you don't, if you feel uncomfortable, just, you know, just say. No, I, we weren't close, but he, he was a very troubled man. Um, but... We, we, you know, we had a relationship and, um, but he was, he, he was difficult and, um, and I, I always felt like he didn't love me, but then, it, and I was very angry with him. I think I'd found it hard to let go of my anger because from, you know, as a teenager, he was just very angry and drink drinking and stuff. But yeah, we had some when he was really sick and we had time together and we did his last words to me were, I love you. So lovely. It's lovely. It's special, isn't it? Yeah. What is one common myth about your profession that you want to debunk? (laughs) Oh, people think that, that we just turn up for like half an hour for a beautiful wedding ceremony or, a half an hour funeral and they just they think oh you know that's a nice job and it's half an hour work (laughs) but it takes that what what people see at that ceremony takes hours of creativity 
conversations yeah. and meetings with the family and the couple, um, drafting, writing, researching, <laughs> days of work. Do you meditate before? Do you have to get yourself in a spiritual? I do, yes. Um, so especially if it's a funeral, then I will uh, just tune in and I ask for that the person who's gone to come through and give me a hand and let me know if there's anything they'd like said. And, yeah, and I, yeah, I'm a big fan of meditation. I do that every day as well, yeah. Now, what's a trick to that? Because I find that hard to do, meditation, because my brain just goes everywhere. I just cannot, calm, I can't do it. <laughs> my brain's like, Ooh. Did, I mean, is that an, I've heard that's a normal process, but I can't seem to get past that process of, of just being calm and nothing. Is there a trick to it? I don't think that's, I think it's really, it's, my brain is still like that, you know, most days. But I just sit with it. If I get a second or three seconds of, of peace in a 10-minute meditation, then it's been worth it. And so I think that's normal. And and also just sometimes just remembering when I'm to watch those thoughts rather than be – so as you might be thinking you're sitting there meditating, but you're planning your day and doing this. And then as soon as you notice you're planning your day, again, that's – that's real gold. So, it, yeah, I don't think you just it, let that go. Yeah, just let it go. Don't don't worry, and then then your head picks it up again, and that's okay. I think that's it's practice. Yeah, of of spotting it and yeah. noticing what you're doing rather than a clear, calm head. And do you do guided meditations or just have music on in the background? I do, um, I do silent ones now for about, but that's taken years of practice. But yes, I guided ones are really helpful because that keeps your mind focused. Yes. And I start, I learned to, to mindfulness and to, taught mindfulness for a while as well, meditation. So yeah, I, I think guided ones to start with, and then perhaps music. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I can I can put like meditation music on in the background and just kind of think there's just all sorts going through my head. I will get there. I will, I'm not going to give up on that one. <laughs> what are the best resources that have helped you along the way? Oh, I think, well, you know, the universe says it, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I, I've had some amazing teachers in my life that have just come at the right time. Um, and, and I've, you know, there's some great books, um, Power of Now, Conversations with God, for, for, you know, they, for the beginning of your journey. Um, and Dan, Danielle Laporte, I love her. She does, she's got quite a lot of guided meditations and things. I've never heard of her. I'll look her up. Yeah, oh, she's great. Canadian spiritual coach. And, yeah, oh, she's... Yeah. Does truth bombs as well. Lovely. Oh, that sounds good. She's great. Yeah. I need a few, a few of those. I think. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to someone struggling right now with alcohol, alcoholism? I would say talk to somebody, and you probably you're unlikely to think you're an alcoholic, and that's okay. But if you think, well, I'm having a problem, ring the AA helpline and just talk to somebody and. And they will get someone to talk to you and 
and share their experience that's that's what I would do that is the matter I mean I've got quite a few family members that are and they don't think they've got a problem I've got one brother who's who who was an alcoholic for for many years um and he's been he's been clean now for about 14 years I think it is so he's he's overcome he finally you know he's overcome and he got help and he got through it but he knows to this day if he was to have that one drink he'd lose everything my ex-husband who is an alcoholic to this day bless him um we've been split quite a few years now but he's an alcoholic and it literally is taking his life and taking Kim as well. Um, yeah, so it's really hard to know what to do and how to help somebody that is 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 at that point, that low point, and they need help. But there are family brothers that, that are alcoholics and it's just literally, it's taken their whole lives and they don't see they've got a problem. Yeah. It's taken, they've got no partners, they're alone. You know, it's just them and drink. And I, I don't think they'll ever change. Mm. I really hope they would. But And it's it's hard, obviously, with, with my ex-husband and seeing my children go through it with, with him as well. Um, what, what would you say to the, to the, the, the parents, the siblings, you know, the, the children of, of someone that, that, that is an alcoholic where they don't see they've got that problem? But, yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating. Yeah, it is. And that, I mean, that's, pro- that's the problem with the illness. It is a massive illness of denial and that people just can't see their own stuff. But for partners and siblings and children, um, there is um, an organisation called Al-Anon, which is for partners, families of alcoholics. So that's A-L-Anon. a l Anon. Yeah, Al-Anon. And so they are, yeah, literally, and they're just, again, it's just they're a support network and they've got loads of advice on how to deal with the alcoholic person in your life. Um, Yeah, and and give you lots of support on on what you can do because sometimes the best thing to do is to step back and sometimes the best thing to do is intervene um, and it's really hard knowing what to do and also to look after themselves because it's because, uh, you know, somebody with an alcohol problem is not only self-destructive, but they destroy everything around them. Around. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, ju- I'm just trying to think what to say for the person that, that's going through it, that, that has got that addiction, mm. what to And they don't, they want to reach out for help, especially again with the males. Um, they don't like to reach out for help as much because they think they should get themselves through. They don't, don't think they've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we say to, to reach out to them and to say, hey, it's okay. You know, it will get better. You'll get through this. It's. Yeah, I think the best time is to get them at. It's it's a choosing the moment as well. Get them at that remorseful moment when something has happened. You know, perhaps they've you know they've 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 lost something, they've hurt themselves. You know, like me, the the, the day after the big row with the, the boyfriend, he he dumped me quite rightly. You know, it, yeah. 
and then I and then I was like this you know I was in that this has got to stop I can't you know can't have this so I think it's catching them at that moment when they're like I just oh you know they're feeling sorry remorseful they and then and then just say to them why what have you got to lose why don't you just give this AA helpline a ring um or you know speak to but then they say we we can control it we can stop for two or three months so I haven't got a problem because if I had a problem I'd be able to control it yeah um or it or or if I had that blackout because I've had I've had that around me as well um but then they say well it wasn't my fault that was a drink I I can't even remember what happened during that time so I can't remember doing it so it isn't my fault because that isn't that isn't I'm saying from what I've you know what what I've had around me Mm. um and you just you 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 want to help them you want to it's hard, isn't it? But I guess they've got to get to that point where they want help as well, isn't it? Is that where they they've got to want like like you you got to that point, right? Okay, I'm going to get help, and you you know, and 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 you did it. Um, they yeah, they have, and and the they have to want help, and sometimes um, look helping them and clearing up their messes does not help them they no. have to suffer the consequences and so and it's about putting boundaries in and making it clear that, that that it's not acceptable so that they they're left with whatever is going on and yeah they you know they can say well I did that, you know, oh, well, I, I, I did it three months. I, I can, I can stop. And then I'd stop for three months. And then I thought right now I can control it. And the first day back <laughs> drinking, I was completely drunk again. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. So, so what helped you was the AA. So people need to call the AA and, and just, is is there an online where they can just go? They can call yeah, and go. They can go online and um, just call. There's a helpline number, or they could try an online meeting. Um, you know, they could just join and with their uh, camera off and just listen and just see. Oh, so they can go on online meetings and not actually be seen. Yeah, which is which is good, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's all free. It's all anonymous. They could put like a fake name on there. Oh, that's good. And just listen and just see if it helps. Because I, you know, I know for me, listening to others and going, okay, because alcoholism is not just the person sitting in the park, you know, homeless, drinking from, it is, it, it is also the binge drinker. It is the person who can stop for three months. Um however it's it's somebody where there's consequences in their life and it is affecting them in difficult ways and they're not able to control it all the time so yeah it's the same it's the same for any addiction isn't it any it's the same thing so we're going to move into the rapid fire questions which is where i just give you a question and and you give an answer um what makes you smile my cats. Oh, how many have you got? Two. 
Oh, what's, sweet. what's the best tip for making this world a better place? Do your shadow work. Every, everybody did their shadow work. I, I truly believe everything evil would disappear in this world. And when we work on ourselves, again, that radiate, I think we have a ripple effect and it, change, it changes the people around us, even the people that are in their own stuff. And that's my experience as well. And what is shadow work? So that's looking at our own dysfunctional patterns, our flaws, and making them conscious and actively changing them. And how can we do that? Is there a course or a, some sort of therapy? There's, there's, I think there's, there's various courses. Um, I'm my the ministry that I've started running we do that in there um I think you do it in 12-step programs um CODA is a codependency anonymous is a good one for people that don't have that have relationship stuff um yeah I think I think there's lots of ways therapy I guess with a really good therapist um yeah okay that's lovely um how would you describe your perfect day Oh, sunshine, friends, family, somewhere out in nature. A song you play over and over. Oh, I love Annie Lennox's Into the West. And um, the other one I've been playing a lot recently is Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. Oh, yes. That's a good good one, isn't it? That's a very positive one. (laughs) Um, Your favourite day of the week and why? I love Sundays because they're quiet. I get up, I get up at sunrise, and I go up on the downs by myself. Oh, nice, nice in nature. It's lovely. What's on your bedside table? Um, always books. At the moment, I haven't started it yet, but a book called The Mercies, which is about I think a group of witches, and uh, I'm also reading Meditations on the Tarot. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, do you like texting or talking? Talking. <laughs> <laughs> when in life have you felt most alone? I think it was my the last time I drank. I was in my flat on my own. Uh, New Year's Eve. I wasn't going. Work was going badly. Had no no friends to go out with. Was in a really difficult relationship and I sat in that flat it was New Year's Eve um, 31st of December 2010 and I was I thought I'm not I'm not going to drink and then I raided everywhere and found stuff and just and just drank but that was my last time last ever time that was brilliant well done you're amazing. Do you know that? Thank you. <laughs> you're an amazing lady. You really are. You are. Oh, you're amazing. Um, do you believe in fate? I believe that some things are meant to happen, but I also really believe we create our own reality. Okay. Would you want to live forever? I think we do, but we just change form. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. No, I'm happy with that. I'm happy to change form. 
yeah, when my no, body gets really old. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'd be great. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, it's been lovely talking to you, and thank you so much for opening up and, and telling us your your life journey and how oh. and how you got through and and you did it. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ruth. Thank you get tempted? Do you ever get tempted now? Or? No, I don't even think about it now. I mean, it's ten years. Um, so just now I was very occasionally I think oh it'd be nice to have a, a glass of wine and then I think oh no I can't just have a glass of wine yeah yeah no that's amazing that's amazing <laughs> oh it's, it's been, been lovely lovely chatting to you and you. to you thank you thanks so much for inviting me <laughs> and uh I'll have to get I'll get your um email address so i can email you the yes yes and then and then what we'll do we'll um i'll add an end bit and if you want um i think you've given me it haven't you yes i think you give me the web page and everything that you've got haven't you and i will put that on as well oh brilliant thank that you one. that's lovely thanks a lot. okay thank oh, you take, you care. take bye. care bye bye i would like to thank samantha for finding her voice to share her journey today I know after hearing this, it will help so many people to start their journey of healing. And for family and friends of those with alcoholism, it will help you to understand why and how to get help. I know from my heart how hard that it was for Samantha to, to share, to share some of her days when she was at her darkest. That takes a lot, you know, that takes a lot to share your story and to be vulnerable. That's quite scary. So thank you, Samantha. You are an amazing lady. Thank you so much for coming on. We look forward to our next podcast. See you there.